first of all, I um, want to say especially to the folks that have come out from Piney Ridge, um, how great it is to see you. I uh, miss not being able to see my dear friend Jason as often as uh, sitting in an office with him, and so it's a blessing to see him and his family and continue to hear amazing things that's happening in Wentzville through your church, how you're blessing the community and living out the gospel, and uh, so thanks so much for being here and and celebrating what the church is, that we're united in the spirit, and it's awesome to have you here and sharing that fellowship. Um, so love uh, all of you guys and the Jasons and Nathan. Um, tonight I want to begin with a question. My heart's really heavy. And it's not heavy because it's Good Friday and um, we look to the cross of Christ, but it's heavy for, for several reasons. And um, so I want to start with a question tonight. For you, what words or thoughts or questions have you heard so much and for so long that they've become powerless? That when you hear this particular phrase or word or thought or idea, because of the amount of times that you've heard it, you've, you've found that all of a sudden it's lost its luster, that it doesn't quite impact you like it used to. At one point in your life, it, it gripped you, it held you, uh, your attention was drawn on it, but now it's, it's gone, it's distanced from you. Uh, these kind of things are called cliches. So what is it for you? Like what have you found in your life that at one time you gripped on to the idea of this phrase, question, or thought, and now it's just distanced from you? It's interesting, like a phrase like, it's beautiful outside, which that's questionable, but, but if someone were to say that it's beautiful outside... Like maybe at one time the word beauty had tremendous meaning for you. Maybe at one time it, it like stirred you. You understood what beauty was. But now when you hear it, it literally means nothing. The word beauty has completely because over and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times you've heard this word. And so it's lost its power. It's, it's rendered almost useless for you. Cliche. The global church, listen, the global church this weekend, finds itself in a very interesting predicament. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people will gather this weekend to do the thing that the church is supposed to do. Remember Good Friday, celebrate on Easter, and act like the church cares. But we find ourselves in an interesting predicament. Because so often our tendency will be as churches, communicators, and as a congregation, is to look at literally the most powerful story, the greatest news ever told, the deepest meaning that we could ever grasp, that all of a sudden the great news of Christ, the good news of what Jesus has done, literally is rendered powerless. It becomes cliche. The church finds itself in an interesting predicament. How can we gather And celebrate what Christ has done in ways where the words, though we've heard them, some of you, hundreds and thousands of times, and rightfully so. How can they not be rendered powerless? How, when we gather here, can they not just be cliche? How can they have weight and significant and transforming power because of the truth of it? Are you with me? We have that tendency in us that even the great news, because Many of you have been in settings like this on Good Friday. You know the story. You know what's coming. You know the rhetoric. 
And so my question is, how does it not become cliche? How does it stay fresh? How does the power of it literally grab our hearts and continue to breathe fresh life? Are you with me? And so in an effort tonight to not just come together and communicate a cliche because we're supposed to, because this is what the church should look like on this weekend, and then you come in and you hear the words, ultimately what happens is we just for a a few moments in time act like we care because this is the weekend the church should. Rather, I'm praying right now that what God would do in us is that he would literally transform us anew with this incredible message of truth. Are you with me? Now, what I've done in the last couple weeks in seeking out how to not fall into the cliche trap is I've been hunkering down in the 47 English translated words that Jesus says while he's on the cross. In other words, he goes through his unfair trial. He's beaten, bloodied, mocked, spat on. He carries his own cross. This is a completely shameful way to die, a completely horrible way to be executed. The crown of thorns thrust into his skull, blood dripping down. We have the images in our mind. And then he finds himself nailed literally through his flesh to the wooden cross. But it's on that cross that he says in the English translated 47 different words, some conversations, some statements, and some questions. And what's been unbelievable for me in the last couple weeks has been the last statement that he makes in each of the Gospels. He makes the same statement in two Gospels and then a different statement in the other two. And what I've found and what is stirring in me tonight is that this Good Friday opportunity to look at the powerful last words of Jesus completely reveals the fullness of his character, and the power of his mission. And if we for a few brief moments can hone in on these last words of Jesus while he's bleeding on the cross, maybe, just maybe, these words and this message and this profound truth will grip us anew. Are you with me? So listen, I want to pray again. And I want to pray right now that these words straight from the scripture grab our hearts, transform us, and stir us. So let's pray. Let's go. God, please come now. Shake our foundation, transform our heart. And I pray, God, that you would grip us with the powerful truth of this great message in your awesome and holy name. Amen. In Matthew, the last words of Jesus while he's on the cross is this. Put it up on the screen for me. I remember a a teaching that my good brother uh, Jason taught, and he can pronounce the original translation way better than I can, but the way the English is translated here at the end of Matthew is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you spent much time thinking about this statement? This is an extremely curious statement. It's highly debated. Theologians all throughout the years have debated what Jesus is really saying here. The first issue is that this is the only place That Jesus ever calls Father God, God. Most other times in the Gospels, he's calling Father God, Father. But here, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And therein lies our second problem. If Jesus and God and Holy Spirit 
make up this one person, this one God, this Trinity, then why is it that Jesus looks, calls out to God and not Father, and says that God has forsaken him? What is happening in these last words of Jesus? What is going on? It's interesting in the scripture uh, that there's a writer named Paul who writes that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. That there is this moment in time in the scripture where darkness has surrounded the land and that Jesus is literally taking on the full wrath of God that has to be poured out on sin. God's hatred towards sin gets enveloped in the fullness of who Jesus is. That's why the ancient prophet Isaiah said in uh, chapter 53 that we heard in the reading of the word, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was in this moment that there was this, for the first time, disconnect as God turns away from his son because Jesus was taking on the fullness of sin. And so Jesus screams out, my God, my God, which by the way, every time in the Gospels he says anyone's name twice, it's always a notation of affection. And so even here in this intense moment for Jesus, he's calling out to God in an affectionate way, my God, my God, and he's taking on the fullness of our sin And he screams out, why have you forsaken me? Why are we disconnected in this moment, though he knows full well? It reveals one of the amazing characteristic traits of Jesus. That he was born to die. That he was born to take all of the aspects of you that are completely depraved and separated from God. And that he would bear them on himself because you couldn't. Listen, I know Good Friday is this moment where we're solemn because we're remembering the death of Jesus, which was a horrific scene. But can you just for a moment celebrate the fact that when you were yet sinners, he died? Knowing every aspect of you that would not be like him, he still goes to the cross. He takes on the shame of your sin and in this moment cries out. And listen, It's this character trait of Jesus, listen, it's this character trait of Jesus that helps us see the depth of his love. Come on. He takes on the shame of your sin so that you could be connected with God, though for some moments here he would be disconnected. In Mark, we see the exact same phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the Gospel of Luke, we see a shift. The last phrase that Jesus makes from the bloody, grotesque cross is this very interesting statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, many of you may be confused at this moment. You're like, well, it's, it's like, why do different writers record different things that Jesus says at the end? Well, if you've read the four Gospels, they're a very different perspective, Right? They give, different, uh, they give different perspectives upon the audience that they're giving to, all inspired by God, all inerrant. But as these stories are passed down and then therefore written by God through man, different writers and authors uh, provide us with a little bit of a different perspective. All true, all the words of Jesus. And here in Luke, Father, into your hands I commit 
my spirit. Now, when Jesus dies in the Gospel of John, does anyone know what the Scripture says happens? He says this phrase that we'll look at here in a second. And listen, the Scripture says he bows his head. This is the kind of notation coming from someone that is willingly giving up his body, that is willingly being executed, that is willingly dying. And so when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, what he's saying is now, take me. These people, though they've nailed me to the cross, it's me as Jesus who will willingly die who will willingly show my love, who will willingly take these whips and mocks, though I deserve it not. He was completely sinless and goes to the cross. And here, listen, he gives up his spirit and says, now I die. This for me shows us this brilliant picture of the God-man. Fully God, fully man. Many would say because he's fully God on the cross, he's not suffering. That the mocks don't ache, that the the, the floggings don't pull the skin off, that it really doesn't hurt. But here we see a phenomenal picture of Jesus as fully God and fully man, recognizing his place, his connection with the Father, and saying, here, I commit my spirit, I willingly go. And then in the Gospel of John, This Greek phrase here. He says one phrase, one three-letter, three-word English translated phrase in the Gospel of John before the Scripture says, he bows his head. And that phrase is, it is finished. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then at the end of the Gospel of John, he says, it is finished. Can you agree with me for a moment that this very well could be one of the most sovereign statements Jesus makes? When I say sovereign, I mean this understanding of the plan. This recognition that in this one very moment, as the curtain tears in two, as Jesus' death represents so many things that we'll talk through in a second, that everything that all of creation has been waiting on is now complete at the cross of Christ. And so fully God, fully man, Jesus says, it is finished. It is over. The debt is paid. The ransom is completely done. The perfect Passover lamb, which Jesus was and has been waiting from the Passover since Moses, is killed, is sacrificed. Atonement is made. The disciples are no longer learners. They're going to be owners of the mission. The curtain tears in two. The distance between people and God is over in one moment. As Jesus in his suffering, in the intense concept and reality of his death, it is all finished. It's all over. And for each of us here, even just the thought of finality is so far distant from us. We we don't like finality. In fact, I would, I, would, I would say that each of you in your own way struggle with it. When something comes to an end, when you have to say goodbye, when we get to places and relationships and it's over, aren't they some of the most intense times of your life? 
And in this moment, as the darkness comes down and Jesus says, it is finished. The work of the gospel is done. And so listen, as I sit back and I think about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus taking on the wrath of God. And when I think about Jesus willingly giving up his life, and then I think about the sovereign statement that he makes, it is finished. I see the fullness of the character of Jesus. And listen, if you can just take a moment and distance yourself from all of the stories and all of the things that you grew up hearing, and just for one second can hear this anew, a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, allows sin sends his son who was always the plan in the brutal, willing execution of Jesus. He takes on your sin so that the distance between you and God could be over. It could be done. Listen, isn't that good news? Isn't there something in that story that as you hear it, maybe even for the first time, It like drums up this tremendous love of God. That's what I long for, don't you? I long this Good Friday to fall deeply in love with the Lord. Anybody else? I don't just want to hear the message of the cross and think about how bad my sin is and how great. I just want to fall in love with Jesus. And when I hear and think about these words of the Christ, when I see the fullness of his character, I'm just speaking out of full vulnerability. Not as a pastor, just as a Christian. That makes me love my God. That makes me sit back on this Good Friday and say that his sovereignty would allow his son to take on our sin, that he would willingly die, and that he would say, it's over, it's finished. There's nothing more that you ever need to add to this love to make yourself worthy. Listen, doesn't that just make you sit back and say, how could I not love that God. And it's that for me this Good Friday that breaks down the cliche. True, listen, true, authentic, genuine love has tremendous weight, doesn't it? You can't deny the truest sense, the truest form, the truest depth of the love that you experience. People may say, well, that's not true. That's not real. No, no, no. You, you don't understand. It's here. It's transforming. It's so incredibly real. But what we've done is we've made this phenomenal message into a cliche, and then we try to take the statement, it is finished, and we say, comma. It's finished, but... I'll still work at it, but I'll still work for myself, but I'll still escalate my gifts and my talents. I know you said it was finished, but I'll still think that somehow there's something in me good enough that would make me acceptable. It's finished. It's over. It's done. Nothing more. That's the message. Listen, that's the message that this culture needs to hear and embrace. Amen? That's the message that this nation, this world needs to hear of the gospel. No more cliches. 
people rising up in authentic love of God and saying, listen, the image of the cross is it's over. Stop working, stop trying, throw up your hands, break your knees, and fall on your face in the picture of the love of God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And when I lay my head on my pillow tonight, that's what causes my heart to stir for love of a good, real, genuine God even now. And so I want to ask you, Is it finished for you? Is it done? Is it over with? Is the debt paid? Is the ransom over? Is the atonement made? The distance between you and God completed? Or, my friends, do you walk in this room now trying to add to the power of the gospel? Can this Good Friday, we just let the gospel be the gospel? Is it enough as it is? And that's why no words of man, but the simple words of Jesus as a dying God-man on a cross, if we just hone in on that, then all of a sudden things shift. Now, we're going to move into a time of response. What I want to do just for a second is I want to just pray for God to soften our hearts. I want to ask God to come right now and to show you in true vulnerability and authenticity, the ways that you're adding to, the ways that you're taking away. Let's just ask God in this moment to reveal to us so that we can properly repent. God, in these moments, in this time, I would ask that you would reveal to us the ways that we're adding to, the ways that we're taking away, the ways that we're trying to say that somehow it's really not over. God, I ask by the power of your spirit that these words that you shared on a cross and that were inspired, written, I pray, Father, that they change us, transform us, and affect us. So on the night that Jesus was with his disciples, The reality of his coming death was crystal clear. He takes the bread, as was the ancient Passover tradition. He breaks it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And if we already understood the sovereignty of the Christ then you know what's going on in Jesus' heart and mind. He knows what's coming. He knows the crown of thorns. He knows the flogging. He knows the being spit on. He knows the shame. He knows the sin of the world is coming on his shoulders. And he said, when you think about this, when you eat this bread, remember my broken body, a real God-man, broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. And then he holds up the cup. And church, can, can I just share this with you? I wholeheartedly believe that at the moment each of us 
flee from religion and just fall desperately in love with God. It's at that moment that the blood becomes so precious. The concept, the thought of Jesus holding up this cup and saying, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Some would have seen it, some would have heard about it, and they all in their own way ran from it. And yet, it's the thing that brings them back, isn't it? It's the blood, it's the empty tomb that brings them back, that restores them, that takes their shame, even Peter, denying the name of Jesus to his servant girl, and all of a sudden breathes hope. It's this broken body of Jesus that allows you, in this moment, to celebrate the finality of what the cross has done. So what I'm asking you tonight, heard it hundreds of times potentially you've seen images the cross what would make it tonight not cliche but more real than ever I believe it's in our acceptance of its finality it's in our love of the one who sacrificed and it's in the hope of what's to come in an empty tomb and so as we respond this meal is for believers for those confessing Jesus trusting in Christ we take communion here by intention pulling off a piece of the bread and dipping in the cup and as we worship and respond we take communion tonight at the foot of the cross this walk is your acceptance of his love and your understanding of your call. Let's respond.